Wow, we've already done seven. If, if you're still here after seven, yay. Glad you can hear us. So um, while, while we were breaking between the last cast where we had Nick Farr on, <clears throat> talking about the different hacker spaces uh, and hackers on a plane too, uh, we were also checking out and found that we had a voicemail. Um, so let's play it and see what it is. It's probably spam. Oh, by the way, uh, before we play that, uh, if anybody else wants to call in and harass us or tell us that, you know, we swear too much or we're not down with Jesus or whatever it is that you want to call and complain about, or if you want to just call and talk about actual pertinent stuff like security um, or any other topics, I'm all for it. Please call. Karen and I would love to have you. Uh, Ryan, we can just forward you out to his voicemail if he's not here. Uh, the number is 303 242 Five four eight one, and we know these aren't live, so we'll definitely like probably worst thing will happen is we'll call you back and you get to talk to us just right here. Yeah, or if we're in the process of recording um, another show next weekend because we always record close to the same time on Saturdays, uh, feel free to call in in the middle of the show and we'll probably put you on hold and then we'll talk. So here we go, first voicemail. Dun, 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 dun. Well, my name is. Was uh, looking at a post that you'd put up there on LinkedIn uh, in the IT security expert forum. Wanted to chat with you briefly about what you're doing and uh, where you're headed. Now uh, I can be reached at area code. When I say whoa, I mean whoa. I got a G1 today, and this is the ring that came with it. And I'm not going to answer it. I'm just going to sit here and kind of like jam to the person calling me from a 406 number, which I don't know where that is either. I don't have any of my contacts. So I hate that. Random. I hate, I hate that, that we need to make some like phone integration software that as soon as like you can link it to your SIM card so that as you can keep everything up on Google contacts or whatever else and then pull all that stuff down so anytime you switch a SIM card and a phone, you can have like all of your UI go over and all of your contacts go over without having it be this bastard process where I have to try and make my BlackBerry sync back up with my IBM and all the other garbage that I have running and then try and put that into Outlook and then have Outlook screw up all the formats and then screw the formats back up into my G phone. Um, I'm going through the same thing so with there. my phone too. I can't get everything translated. I hate that. Sh- I mean, so, that's ridiculous. Can someone please write something that works for that? Because it's ridiculous. Like I know I'm no coder, but just please, I, I'll pay someone. I mean, I just want something that works. So uh, 406 is Montana. 406 is Montana. Is Montana? Oh, maybe that's one of the guys from OWASP in Montana. Um. Hi, I'm Wasp in Montana. Maybe we'll call them back here in a minute um, and just see who's randomly calling me. Or I'll look it up on my other phone and make sure it's not, like, you know, a warrant or something like that. (laughs) Um, So what's up with this? (laughs) Worried about Configure? Our clients aren't worried. Find out why. Because no one cares. That's why. Find out why by clicking here. So clicking here Click there, and then you get Configure. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) How cool would it be to make some, like, cross-frame injection on this thing or do cross-request forgery and just make it so that it downloads Configure? <laughs> They're lists, not worried because they already have it. It lists a couple ways that Configure worm attacks are defeated. So, I don't know. Whatever. Don't fly Southwest because they have Configure and you will get the Configure. You will get the Ficker. <laughs> Hook it up. Um, all right. So, now that we've we've gone through that, do you want to call... Let's see if he's uh, he's around. We get to I don't. I don't want to record. <laughs> right off the bat, though, or should we? Hey, you called us. You asked for it. I don't okay, know. We, we call him have, back. We should probably do like the automated, like non-disclaimer. Like if you call us, you're fair game. The, there it is. Exoticliability.com disclaimer. If you call us, we will call you back on the show. Got it. Number come out right. I think. I think we're golden on there, dude. Dun, 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 dun. Maybe he's screening our calls. Just write to voicemail. Speaking of which, if you ever want to go write to voicemail and you want to use that for social engineering, you want to use it because you're trying to get out of the fact that you're like at a bar and you don't want your wife to hear you or don't want your husband to hear you or whatever, there's this really, really slick website called Slydial, S-L-Y-D-I-A-L. Right? What it does is it dumps you straight into the voicemail 
of whatever provider you're calling. If you want to use it for a social engineering gig, it's perfect. You call, you call from spoof card, right? Spoof your call phone number. And then as you spoof the call phone number, it'll show up in their in their voicemail as the callback and say, you know, hey, I'm, you know, so-and-so executive and I need this reset for me, or call and ask them for some pertinent type of information or something like that. But do it on their voicemail. So that there's no way to actually, you know, live verify the call. When you give them your callback number, say, you know, oh, I'm, you know, here's my office phone number and request, you know, put in the number that you put into the spoof card app. Say, I'm not going to be at that phone. I'd like, I need you to call me this weekend. Here's my personal phone number and give them the number of your cell phone. But anyway, that's just a little rant. If you want, if you want a tool, slide dial, S-L-Y-D-I-A-L.com. Check it out. Pick up the phone. You think? <laughs> He's a suit. Okay, so what are we going to leave on his voicemail? I, I wish my phone would ring. I'm like, ding, 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 ding. Thanks for calling the support department. We're sorry to have missed your call. Please leave your name and telephone number, and we will return your call as soon as possible. Please leave your message after the tone. (coughs) When done, hang up or press the pound key. This message is for... It is Chris Nickerson. And Jackalope. Calling from ExoticLiability.com. If you could, please give us a call back at 303-242-5481. Thank you. There we are. Hmm. That makes me think. What if we're scared now? Now, Karen. Uh, what are we gonna do? I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about something for a second. Um, in the meantime, maybe we should start looking up who is. So (sighs) we're coming for you. Well, no, we just want to find out who we do business with. Um, so. Um, while I'm talking about some of the other current things that are going on, uh, Jack Lope's going to start taking a look into what old Mr. has on the internet. Um, speaking of, if you're trying to look for someone on the internet, there was recently a really, 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 really good conversation that's been going on uh, out at Black Hat in Europe. Um, so anybody who wasn't there, as a quick recap, there's been all sorts of really cool talks lately. Um, one of the talks that was going on was actually about uh, finding metadata. And I talk about that all the time, right? Because when people put documentation out on the internet, they usually fail to scrub any of the metadata in the document. So one of the really fun parts of that is that when you're actually doing information collection, you know, who knows, maybe publish a document and we can run it through. Um, But one of the things that you run into is that when you're actually looking for information, most people who do pen tests are, are so worried about their NMAP scans and they're worried about, you know, being able to see what ports open and all that stuff that they forget the really basic parts of Intel collection is what's already out there. How can I passively understand what's going on in your company? So I can do all sorts of stuff, right? I can look at things like TouchGraph. If you've never seen it, www.touchgraph.com. It shows you business interactions different valuable different types of interactions within the services of your business to see who you're connected to not only from a personal level or you can look at it from a corporate level and see what businesses you may or may not have connections to really really cool kind of looks like a weighted end uh, report inside of Multigo if you don't know what that is please look at Perturva Uh, go search for Multigo on the net it is the best Intel collection tool on the planet. There is nothing better. It puts it in an excellent format. But back to TouchCraft. TouchCraft is a really good resource if you want to see business interaction in a visual format. Um, then some of the things that you'll get after you're looking for visual interaction with you know, some of those companies, you'll start to find things that they've put out on the internet. You'll find things like PDFs and Word documents. And you can actually go do search, right? There's a PDF search. I think it's pdfsearch.net. Is that it? Oh, I think so. You, I, I talked about it in one of the speeches recently. I, I, I can't recall the site. I, I'm almost positive it's pdfsearch.net, but it actually searches and catalogs PDFs all over the place. Uh, great place to go start and look for your client information. After you pull down the PDF or pull down the Word doc, you want to do some things with it. One, read it, because sometimes the usernames and passwords are already in there. 
Number two, pull it out and start to scrub it for some metadata. Now, the, the best part about metadata is the fact that most of the time, as I said, users don't clean it. There's been some tools out there for a long time that we've used, like MetaGoofill, like LibExtractor, to go through and take a look at what type of metadata is on the document, right? This could be anything from file structure, where it was created, IP addresses, usernames, revision history, things like that. Uh, there also was a tool called, I think it was a revisionist. Uh, revisionist actually went through and pulled out some of the revision data in older Word documents and other types of documents so that you can see how the document was created. Uh, by the way, all of you who are out there in the security community who are issuing RFPs, uh, please scrub the metadata of your RFP. I don't want to see where you stole the RFP from. I mean, I just don't want to. It's ridiculous. I get RFPs all the time. Laris gets RFPs just about once a week. And my first exercise when I'm going through those is to take a look at the metadata. Oftentimes, you'll even see the price that they're expecting inside of the RFP. Now, I know that this is a big game. I know that everybody's out there to get these, you know, multiple bids and they're going to give it to the person that they already chose anyway, but at least make it a little bit harder. You know, at least don't have the like Foundstone graphics still on the top of it when you're trying to say, yes, I issued this RFP on my own. Um, not talking down, please don't take it that way. It's a security protocol. We need to start scrubbing the documents. Back into looking at the metadata of documents, uh, one of the great things that I saw is that when I was looking at, I forgot whose blog I was looking at. Um, I think I was looking at Chris John Riley, I believe. I'll, I'll have to look and I'll find you a link. Um, but I was looking at some of the talk reviews. Yeah, it was Christian Riley. I was looking at some of the spe speech reviews at Black Hat Europe, and one of the things I was really interested in is the recent talk on metadata and tactical fingerprinting using metadata, hidden info, and lost data. Um, they, they talk about a lot of these different tools, but one of the tools that they just released is called FOCA, F-O-C-A. It stands for Fingerprinting and Organization with Collected Archives Tool. It's a tool that you guys can run in Windows. You can run your documents through it. And as you run your documents through it, it'll have direct search support from Google, from Live Search, from all these other things. And you can actually start downloading the tools and looking at all of the different data on those and actually start fingerprinting some of the data and some of the archives of those tools. Or, excuse me, archives of some of the documents that are bringing down. So now you have yet another way, just like Gulag, just like, you know, looking at MetaGoofill and LibExtractor, this is one more thing that you can add to your toolkit to start fingerprinting these organizations. Um, I, you know, again, Chris Gates talks about this all the time when I, when I listen to some of his speeches and, and lots of other people. When you're doing pen testing, when you're looking at the external profile of your organization, good intelligence gathering is 80% of the work. If your company or you personally are spending the bulk of your time hacking and not the bulk of your time doing intel, you're not doing it right. And I'll say that emphatically. You are not doing it right. You need to really spend time with collection because the better intel that you have, the better you can teach and make the company understand about the risk profile that they have out there and how these things come up to play. Uh, attackers don't just randomly attack addresses when they're specifically attacking an organization. We do months and months and months of intel collection, and then we go and we find the path of least resistance. Oftentimes when we're doing those, we will find more ways into the company than if I ever actually sent one packet towards your company in a malicious fashion. I can tell you right now that I found in 80% in of the tests that I do, that are allowed to do full intel gathering on the outside and give us the appropriate amount of time needed to do so, we will find our way in without ever launching an exploit. It's not to say we're not going to as a scope of the test, but we will normally find our way in that way. So that's one of the major things that we have to look at. Uh, while I've been sitting here going, you know, constantly off and whatever else, uh, DJ. I'm still here, I'm looking around still. Um, I found 48 in LinkedIn. Uh, none of them linked to his company, though, so that, that's kind of huh. led to a little bit of a dead end. Um, started looking around on Facebook, looked around on MySpace a little bit, so mm. waiting for those to still load in. If if any of you guys are also looking to do some of that fast track type type collection. Uh, when you get emails from people, a good thing to do is send emails that you know someone will email back to. 
and then use some of the consolidated search frameworks. <clears throat> There's actually some really good ones that plug into Outlook. Uh, one of the really cool ones that I use is Inbox spelled backwards. Uh, I don't even know how to say it, but whatever. <laughs> Spell Inbox backwards, and that's the one. Um, it actually consolidates Hoover's info, Facebook info, and LinkedIn info based on a little side panel that shows up in your Outlook uh, mailbox. Uh, really neat thing about it is there's a super high-speed searchable database within it. So instead of using the search function within Outlook and having it take 10 years, as you're typing, it'll start searching and start indexing messages and what the conversations were back and forth and what files you transfer. It's it's sick. It's like it's the coolest tool that I've ever used in Outlook. But also for social engineering, for pen testing, for info gathering, it's great because it'll bring up, if you put in your LinkedIn profile and all that information, in your Facebook and everything else, it'll actually bring up who it thinks that email address belongs to, what profiles that they have, and make a little information dossier on them, including their phone numbers that it could, it could find. It finds you know their websites, their different pages, all this other really great stuff. So again, inbox spelled backwards. Um, we'll try and put up a link for that as well. You know, Go ahead. You were going to say something? Oh, I was still looking around. And I saw her going to attack the microphone. I'm like, oh, yeah, ah. get it. I'll start looking here in a minute, too. Um, some of the other things, uh, if you guys get a chance to go out and look and look at some of the talks that have been going on at uh, Black Hat in Europe, uh, there's been a number of talks from Spider Labs talking about <clears throat> Wi-Fi and, you know, how it's it's inherently secure or, excuse me, insecure. Uh, open Office design security weaknesses. So actually using some of the Open Office document protocols uh, to use client side attacks and do some of the things that they're doing there. Um, stack smashing, you know, that's the type of stuff I can't handle because it's too smart for me. Um, but there's a really, really good talk uh, Arez made on .NET framework rootkits, uh, which as you know, we see this large rise in the attack vectors of the application space because so much more data is there. And, and you know, just to kind of preface that a little bit, the, the reason that there's so many attacks at the application layer is because when you attack at the network layer, you actually have to go up through the stack to get to the data. When you attack the application layer, almost immediately after that attack occurs, you can see the data. So it's actually closer, if you're thinking about layered protection, application layer attacks are actually closer to the data than network layer attacks are. Because with the network layer attacks, you still have to go up in through the operating system and be able to get to the data and then rationalize and use that data in application format in order to see it. So, so when the reason that a lot of these are happening is because not only are people doing a better job at protecting the network, but they're also moving up to make their attacks more efficient, faster, more creative, and easier to go at. Because as Jeremiah released and, and White Hat released, uh, whitehat.com, um, they released statistics showing that you know, 9 out of 10 servers on the internet suffer from the OWASP top 10. Um, meaning that it's very, very easy if you know how to conduct any of those type of attacks, you have a 9 out of 10 chance of being able to actually extract those things. So one of the you know perfect things is uh, like using SQL injection to get to the data. Well, actually, some of the new tools, I think it's SQL map. Uh, I can't recall. I, I, I will post a link and edit that back. Um, but there's actually some tools now that instead of just going and doing the pump data and, and getting the database, uh, they're actually installing rootkits that'll give you shells. Um, so those are huge. And some of what, uh, from what I read right, uh, is that making uh, DLLs and being able to inject into current DLLs and using .NET to be able to do so in Java and PHP and even the Google Android stuff, um, you're, you're able to go and make rootkits uh, within some of those .NET things. So Arez released a tool called the .NET Sploit tool. Um, it is located at www.applicationsecurity.co.il slash .NET dash framework dash rootkits dot ASPX. Uh, we'll put the link up there, but I was just, it was right in front of me, so I decided to say it. There's no way you're going to remember that. Play it back over and over again until you get it. Um, but some of those things are also going to start to be made into the Metasploit project. Actually, Canvas really made this really cool uh, HTTPS 
put through uh, that's a HTPS shell. Uh, it's a, I think it's a reverse or a double bind reverse shell. Um, that's really, really excellent that they just released in their tool. That's cool. Also, uh, Netferia, if you've never used that as a pen testing framework, uh, has one of the coolest you know shell packages ever that I've ever seen. It's actually like a 4-meg Java OS that they push to you uh, when they exploit something so that you can actually work within that and conduct any of the types of things that you're used to having full access to the OS, but all it has to do is have hooks. Um, so that's really, really, really cool. Those are some of the things that are going on that I've been reading out that I've that I've been excited about. So so far on, on the <laughs> search, I I don't know. I didn't find too much. I found like you know the forty eight guys on, on LinkedIn. Um, I don't know. We're just like we're just thought we poke around for fun. We're not trying to like single you out. Just you know seeing what's around. I, I'm I'm sure you're doing good stuff, Red. We're just we're just looking because we're bored. We need more stuff to talk about. You're doing a pretty good job though, because I haven't found like anything directly for you. So, no, um, I'll, I'll get them in a minute. I'm sure like <laughs> I haven't tried Maltigo, but we've got some other stuff going on there. Just doing basic searches. So right on. Cool. So um, let's let's talk about some of the other stuff that's going on. You know, um, <clears throat> I. I'm going to get into this now because I, I just may as well. And and we'll ask some other people uh, about their thoughts on it. Um, I posted a, a Twitter comment from my personal account about how I was really unhappy about the Verizon report on uh, on data breaches. And if you haven't seen that, we'll put up a link to that as well. But the Verizon report on data breach, and, and I'm going to have to bring it up here so I can make sure to quote it perfectly because God knows somebody's going to call in or send me an email and tell me that, you know, I was totally wrong and I misquoted it and that's why I suck and whatever else, which that's fine. I know I suck in general. It's, it's a 52-page it's PDF file. So it's a 52-page PDF file uh, that starts off saying 285 million records were compromised in 2008. Ooh. Fear, uncertainty, and doubt scare you into security. In binary, nonetheless. Yeah, I'm done with that. Stop the FUD. I don't care anymore. I mean, seriously, we've been hacked every single day. It's like getting beat up every day at school and then telling me you get beat up every day. That's lame. Just get over it. Start making security functional. Stop trying to sell fear into everyone, okay? Make it connect to them. Make it connect to their business. Stop trying to scare the business into doing security. Encourage the business into doing security. Be supportive. Connect to the positive impact of security, all right? I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm totally done with everybody selling fear. And, and you may get scared from people talking about advanced attacks that you make fear inside yourself because you go, oh, we're vulnerable to that. Good. Good. Use those types of tests, expose those types of things, get good sparring partners, fix what's going on in the environment, and show how that's positively impacting the company. And I think that reports like this and reports like the semantic report that just came out as well, because, well, everybody's going to put out their support, you know, or their, their recent report, RSA time's coming, right? And when RSA comes, you'll have to have some big shiny report that says, I know what I'm talking about, even though Verizon and Symantec got hacked this year too. Ha, <laughs> whoops. Well, then why are you doing the report if you're one of the victims? But I guess that helps you know exactly how it happened uh, by being a victim. So uh, let's let's go over some of the things in this report. Um, rule number one, don't be a victim. Yeah, rule number one, if you're going to be a victim, make sure you only stay in the corner of the shower. Oh, next. So who's behind the data breaches? This is the first thing in the report uh, right after their executive narrative uh, that talks about all of the confirmed breaches that their super awesome security event, et cetera, et cetera, data breach team, which I actually know some of the people there, and they're very, very talented. So I'm not talking smack on them, but I'm saying that they continue to preach over and over again how good they are and connect you to the blank indicators in the report of why it's valid because they've done 600 of them. Yeah, excellent. You know, everybody needs an indicator because they don't really know. Okay, it's just like a warranty on a used car. So some of the things that they talk about. Who's behind the data breaches? It says 74% resulted from external sources, plus 1% from last year. 20% was caused by insiders. 32% implicated business partners. And 39% involved multiple parties. Um, cool, great chart, great percentages. Adds up to be more than 100 we're on page uh, two if you're following around here. 
but again, yeah, yeah I mean, Jackalope. <laughs> it adds up to more than 100, right? Hey, um, it's what, 130, 40, something there? Okay. So, once again, back to my feeling that charts can show anything or nothing. It just depends on whatever numbers you decide to put down. Um, nonetheless, great numbers to have. What I started to look at, though, is the language of it. Now, those of you who know me or have read some of my work before, I, I study a lot in NLP, not nearly to the level uh, Mike Murray does, and he co-teaches a number of classes that we have together. Uh, but I study NLP. I study language. Uh, I've studied you know, some of Landmark, some of the Satir communication models, uh, some of the base-level communication models. I write about it all over the place. And my main problem with the bulk of these reports is that the people who write these reports have a very finite level of language. Now, that's not saying that they have poor vocation. That's not saying that the taxonomy of all of this stuff is incorrect. It's saying that their connection is purely to a kind of technical audience that gets refurbed by marketing in order to be flashy and cool and then sent out to everyone. What, what they fail to look at is really the level of community impact in which they inspire. When you say things like an external source, I'd really like some comments from some of the listeners to say, what is an external source? By the way, what's your email address? My email address? Oh, my email address is nickerson at exoticliability.com. Sorry. I, I suck at the whole advertising type thing. It's just I'm just not good at it, and I'm never going to be, so thank you. Well, if you're, if you're calling people to write you, you got to... There you are. No, well, they can they can use Multigo and find my phone number and just call my phone. <laughs> um, so you know, back back into this language thing. Um, when when I look at that and I say seventy four percent resulted from external sources, to me, I I think of the language of the general IT administrator. I think of the language of the sysadmins. I think of the language of the directors. Um, most of those things. When, when you're looking at those, most of them understand or speak in the language of external as in a perimeter. Okay, They speak as the external attacker. To them, when you say that to the bulk of the IT community, when they say external attacker, what they think is someone on the internet. Jacqueline, would you agree with that? I would agree with possibly, yeah. Through I mean, is, yeah, it's anybody who's not like there. And if you say internal and external, that means in your network or outside of your network? Yep. So, so I think that that's fairly common uh, across most people and across most professionals in the industry. Yet, when, when I look at that, the first thing I think, my first reaction to that sentence or, or statement is, wow, 74% of the people were on the outside and hacked in? So I said, that's not right. I know that's not right. The reason I know that that's not right is because Jackalope and I run Lares Consulting, um, and we do this type of stuff all the time. We have multiple engineers. We're in the field all the time. We're doing risk assessments and pen tests and application assessments and code review and all of those types of work in the security community, and I can tell you without a doubt, it is much easier to hack in when you're on the inside than when you're on the outside. Always. And so I started looking at this and I started putting out some questions to people because I said, I, I just don't believe that this external thing is true. And I, I think that any of you who read that, you might get the idea. Well, lower down on the document, I think it's in page eight and I'm going to <laughs> it right now. Yep, it is. Ding. It, there's definitions, which thank you for putting in the definitions. Otherwise, I really had to beat up on this report. But the definition of external, as far as Verizon sees it, is as such. External threats originate from sources outside the organization. Examples include hackers, organized crime groups, government entities, as well as environmental events such as weather, earthquakes, typically no trust or privileges implied in these external entities. Now, that does no longer mean inside the network or outside the network. It does not have the conventional understanding in which has been preached throughout every single vendor of the world and every single firewall person has used internal and external, not as their language. Verizon is essentially saying that external means somebody who does not work for your company. Well, yeah, duh, I get that. People outside of your company hack your company because people on the inside want to keep their job. 
Wow. Epic, <laughs> epically huge thing. But the language of this report, I think, is going to significantly confuse people because when you see that word external, you're going to think perimeter. When you think 70x percent of these attacks come from the external, you're going to start having people investing more in perimeter security again and stop moving away, as we've been telling them for the last 10 years, protect data at its source and move outwards instead of worrying about geographic perimeters. You're going to see more money getting thrown into the perimeter because of this report, and you're going to have even more M&M security shops. By the way, M&M security means hard outside, soft inside. Right? You put an M&M in your pocket, it's still crunchy, but as soon as you open it up, all the liquid leaks out. So, number one problem with this report. I think that their findings are statistical and well-polished. I think the way that the data is presented is significant and pertinent to the industry. I think that they actually did a very good job uh, when they're writing it up and talking about the, the sources. But I, I have a very, very hard time looking at this report and gaining the understanding when I put my head into the common security practitioner. The common security practitioner who hasn't been part of these things, uh, I, I think will significantly misunderstand some of the things based on the word external and internal. And I think that, that that's something that people really need to look at when they're reading this report, is understand that this does not mean hackers outside your organization. And I think if it looked so in that way, this whole report, every single graph that's in this report would be completely different. Um, some of the other things that they were talking about, which I really enjoyed them giving statistics on, uh, were things like hacking and the categories of percent breaches and the number of records. So it showed that there is extremely large. 64% of the events were from hacking and 94% of the records were actually leaked out. Uh, malware is only 38%, misuse at 22%, deceit, um, you know, I, that's again, I, I have some kind of general problems with the, the words, uh, word deceit. I mean, I think that that's, uh, it's, it's a little too academic for these reports. Um, I, I don't think it really connects to anything that the report's saying. Uh, I think that deceit was just a word that somebody in marketing wanted to use to make it look pretty. Um, You're still also looking at percentage of cases, and they also are nice enough to tell you the percentage of records as well. So yeah. it's 38% of number of cases for malware, and 90% of the records is where, like, that's where they got 90% of the records. Right. And I think that, you know, a as we're looking at these, I think that they w what they should have done is really gone through a general lexicon of terms that are used by the community at large, by the IT community at large, and put those in that type of language to make this report more pertinent. Um, but nonetheless, I think the data in the report is extremely good to look at. Um, one of the, go ahead. Oh, I do have a question on that same page, on page 15, mm -hmm. um, looking at the environmental being 0% and 0%. What criteria do you even use to figure out? Like, why is that even on there? Well, I think what they were doing is they were trying to account for when they, when they used external, right? They were trying to do the whole, like, natural disaster thing. But I don't know if I really get that because there's some really nasty hurricanes that really trashed some stuff and really destroyed a bunch of environments and leaked a bunch of information yep. and caused all this bad stuff to happen. But it was probably just because Verizon wasn't called in to do some of the, uh, the forensic or examining work at the end of that, so they have no experience in that particular venue. So I think that that's, it's on there because it should be on there, but they probably didn't do any of those jobs. Is that... Oh, that, that works. I was also checking out the, the error section of how the, I'm probably looking at this wrong, but it's, Where's that? it's uh, actually still on page 15. It's right above the environmental. Okay. Um, it says, trying to figure out their, their double shading there, 1% versus the 67% for, for error. Like, wouldn't <laughs> error kind of be 100% of records? I, I, I have no idea what that means. Uh, may, does it say in any of the narrative? Does it would probably have like a lighter square or lighter lighter version of gray versus the darker version of gray? So. Once again, I think the world is black and white, but we make gray to justify our own opinions. So gray could be anything. <laughs> Thank you guys. <laughs> whatever. Yeah. What whatever you want gray to be, it's <laughs> gray is like a hooker's name. It's full of rainbows. <laughs> whatever you want it to be. <laughs> um. Uh, honestly, though, I, I definitely encourage people to read this report. I, I think that the facts within it are very good. 
Yet, I think it is the same tired and dry old message of be scared. And I think that that's lame. I really do. I think that knowledge is something that should drive people to do things. I think that pertinent partnerships uh, and the ability to exercise doing what you're good at should be something that should drive innovation. And I think that that innovation should be seen multiple fold in the ability of the business being able to operate efficiently, effectively, and more profitably than they were before. Um, so if, if anyone's with me that they're you know sick of the same old FUD thing, and I know, you, you say, yes, I'm sick of FUD, and then behind your breath, you're like, but damn, it's the only thing that actually helps me sell this contract so I can get somewhere. I get you. I mean, trust me, I'm in the business. I know. But, but I really want people to get beyond it, and, and we really need to start moving that way. Um, so if you want more stats to throw into your slides, you want more cool graphs to scare the hell out of people, grab the report, read through it, look at some of the base things that they talked about, um, and then take their like top five things, uh, ignore them, and use the report that we did and the podcast that we did with Delchi talking about the top 10 things. And I can guarantee you it will provide 100% more protection than you just following what's in this report. The stuff in this report is good, but it's not comprehensive enough for the base level of security that we're at today. Um, I'm sure that this podcast alone is going to start plenty of fights. Uh, so I'm more than welcome that. I'd love to talk to any of the people. Uh, Mr. Hutton and I were talking a little bit on uh, Twitter, but we decided that 140 characters wasn't enough to both of us, you know, expound in our, you know, equal use of language uh, to be able to go back and forth. Um, so I've invited Mr. Hutton on the show to talk about the report as well. Uh, again, I am absolutely not bashing, just taking it from a perspective of somebody who is very connected to language and to his customers. And this particular report, I think that there's some things that were used in language for whatever reason that they were uh, that will make all of the grass significantly more confusing and or tell the wrong story to certain types of people. Not saying that they're bad, not saying that they're accurate, saying that the language used is really what makes the difference here. Yeah. So reading it, it's not hard. Just go through it. Don't don't be intimidated by it. Yeah, it's fifty pages. It's, it's not no big it, deal. It's not one hundred and five pages like the semantic one, which just like really enjoys hearing them talk over and over and over again. I mean, they just it's one hundred and ten pages of like graphs and how cool semantic is and like size two font with all these little dots and shit everywhere. Uh, yeah, great. Um, there's a lot of them coming out. As you'll see, there's going to be a lot more FUD. There's going to be a lot more documentation coming out because it's RSA time. And when it's RSA time, all the big companies out there want to put their cool new reports so people come to their booth and buy their crap. That's Monday. So, yeah, speaking speaking of that, um, I know that we gave a, a brief defamation of RSA uh, the last, what was that, show one or two? Some, it was somewhere Whatever. in there. But but there are going to be some really good things going on in Expo. Uh, there's some cool new technologies that are coming out. Uh, there are some great places to pick up the white papers. And, hey, if you don't want to stare at your computer screen for 100 pages, you can probably go to the semantic booth and pick up the report. I'm sure they have it in, like, a neat, glossy format. And then when you're done, you could throw it in your fire if you get cold. Um, so that's what's going on with the uh, general reports in the industry right now. Um, I think that... You know, looking at that and looking at some of the other things uh, will we'll give you an idea of how the trends in the industry are going, how, you know, industry abilities are kind of coming up, as well as how the metrics of security are starting to get a lot more advanced. Um, what else is going on in the news? I don't know. The fun stuff with the Pirate Bay <coughs> guys is, is going on. Um, oh, man, that sucks. <laughs> it does. That sucks. I'm... Please, again, members from the RAA, call into the show so I can tell you that I think that you stink, like, individually. I think that just, that's lame. Why doesn't, why, why hasn't, why isn't Google in there? They're a search indexer. They don't host the content. And you can find a whole lot of BitTorrent shit off of Google. You can find the direct link right to the torrent off of Google. Why hasn't Google been sued? Too busy poking around on YouTube? I don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> why Why always attack the small guys? So the, the four Pirate Bay guys basically got sentenced guilty and charged to one year in jail and ordered to pay uh, $3.6 million in damages to uh, Standard Warner Brothers, Columbia, and uh, where are we at? Um, from 20th Century Fox, Sony, and EMI. 
But currently, you know, while they're being appealed, they can run around free. So I'm glad at least they can go drink beers and stuff. And that's always happy. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, good luck, guys. If there's anything that that we can do to help, uh, by all means, call us, let us know. Um, Aside from setting up a mirror of the whole site and getting in trouble on the show. But our our server will end up in in a museum in Sweden. So that would be okay, too. (laughs) That's awesome. But yeah, seriously, guys, just, I don't know, send us an email. Yeah, and and uh, you probably know who we are just because we host the 303 party that's next door to you every year when you guys do the booth parties at DEFCON. Um, so, on and upward. <clears throat> some of the other things that I think are going on that are pretty interesting, some of the people in, in security or even not in security. Um, there was a, there's an article about hacking internet backbones. Um, and how, you know, you could make disasters of the internet and how there are widely deployed, you know, switches and frameworks and blah, blah, blah that were outdated that you can do all this BGP peering and neighboring and jack up their routes and stuff like that. Um, uh, wow, that's new. Really? I mean, I kind of remember a press release I was doing at CDC mm, 10 years ago uh, telling people this. Ryan Jones was saying, didn't Loft say this like 10 years ago? Yeah. Well, I mean, it was on the Loft site for a while, and there's some of the tools talking about it on the Loft site, Um, which if anybody doesn't know, uh, Loft finally got their rights back from the at stake and semantic merger, and Loft will be putting out a new Loft crack this year. Um, So get ready, more Loft crack, more password cracking, cooler tools, faster, using rainbow tables and all sorts of stuff like that. So uh, good luck, guys. I, I think that that's awesome that you got the rights back finally, and uh, that tool's coming back out. Um, so my, uh, my thought on the Hacking Internet Backbones article and everybody talking about that, <laughs> lame, old news. Uh, what else is going on? <laughs> uh, I, I saw an article yesterday on uh, Nokia smartphones and how they leak email passwords. <laughs> Yeah, the famous Lex Nokia got r- ratified in Finland, and the company has launched a massive Noco space research project for data gathering. In the meantime, Nokia's new smartphones forward email account credentials to a remote server. Surprisingly enough, it's done in HTTP. <laughs> Warning. Lame. That's lame. Not only are we collecting info about you, we're sending your password in the clear whether you like it or not. Lame. Nokia, you get the suck award for this week. I don't know between that and quite possibly the the uh, what is it the Homeland Security people kind of being angry at everyone for uh, releasing like the whole right wing paper of theirs. Oh yeah, um, and then going off also about how they need hackers. Yeah, you know I think that's really funny. So uh, that's such an awesome conversation to bring up. Thank you. Right. I had a meeting with Strategic Command, and they were doing a research project about cyber militias, right? And so I, I, I thought, I mean, first off, when somebody says we want to meet with you about the concept of cyber militias, I, I got to think of, like, our crew, right? I think of, like, going to 303 meetings or, like, coming up to our booth at Con and being like, all right, guys, the government's under attack and we need your help. Is there some, like, like our 303 symbol, like, bat sign that, like, they shine up in the clouds well, you haven't in seen D.C.? It? You haven't seen it? It's huge. <laughs> this is crazy. And I was like, okay, well, you know, that's that's cool. And so I tried to give them, like, a realistic connection to, like, what it would take. And they're like, so what do you think, you know, would really band the people together and and, you know, we're thinking that, you know, just patriotism and this. And they were like, it was like talking to, like, George Bush's spin doctor. You told I'm him like, to just buy a keg, right? Thank you. That's all I did. I, <laughs> I was like, you know what? The only thing that you're going to do to get some of the pros together is make friends, trade favors, get some drinks, give them a ton of bandwidth, and tell them you're not going to interfere. And let everyone go to town I just because it's fun. And I'll tell you what. You you look at some of the times like when we have house parties in Vegas uh, because we'll we'll rent a house every year and we'll invite everybody over and we're going to do it this year so Exotic Liability will have 
you know, a little house party. So everybody can sign up on our blog at exoticliability.com. You'll be able to come over. You'll be able to meet some of the people in the information security community that make a lot of these tools. And it's going to be a big, open kind of social event where all of us are going to sit there and get drunk and throw people in the pool and just have a good time. And it's not going to be a pretentious type thing. Um, and you probably won't have vendors crawling up your ass all day. Um, but, you know, <laughs> all that really takes is some community and some involvement and some friendships. And now they're making these, like, calls like, help us. We don't have enough help. And they're just, like, acting we don't like have they any just money. realize this, too. Like, like oh, wait. I, I suddenly realize <laughs> we have no one protecting, like, you know, our security, our Internet security, Damn. like, at the White House. Like, Hello. Isn't that awesome? We don't have anyone protecting internet security <laughs> at the White House. Yet the White House is going to take over security of the internet. What? Uh? I, what? Can someone please help rethink all of this stuff? I mean, okay, hey, Alexander, good job. You did the NSA power grab to get the cyber czar position. Can you do something? Please? please? Jinx. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, please do something. And then they're like, but, but we don't have any money to give them. Well, then, why would I do this? Like, I have a job. They're buying you beer. Okay, if they bought me <laughs> beer and gave me a place to stay, I would do it for a couple of days. But but they're talking about just, like, you know, bringing you into a bunker and getting orders barked at by some, like, lieutenant colonel who has absolutely no idea what the hell they're talking about or she's talking about. And then being like, I've got great hackers, but they only do what I say. Like, that ridiculous model. Not Look, to mention the word hacker, in theory, well, is evil. So yeah. what? Yeah, I've got Siberian tigers, but I don't know what to do with them. I just <laughs> maybe I'll be like Siegfried and Roy. <laughs> yeah, Mew, why are you attacking me? <laughs> don't do that. I love you. You're my pretty tiger. <laughs> <laughs> so, if anybody looks, Associated Press put out something. Uh, I think they put it out. Do you know when they put it out, Karen? I, for the the hackers wanted thing. I yeah. started seeing it last night. And it showed up on my phone, which means it could have come from anywhere. But no, I'm pretty sure it's Hey, that's funny. A task force of technology giants, including General Dynamics, IBM, Lockheed Martin, and Hewlett Packard, urged administration to establish a White House-level official cyber lead efforts to develop ways to share information and problems more quickly with the private sector. Good job. That's great. You can hand it to the people that still don't know how to do pen testing. Sorry. I love you tough. Do you guys just don't have good pen testers? Um, it, I mean, IBM has some people that are pretty good. GD? Come on, guys. It's Hewlett Packard? Okay, good. You got some AppSec guys. But the really, really good AppSec guys from Spy aren't there anymore. Um, and Lockheed Martin. Sorry. I'm just going to skip that one. Um, so, you know, why don't we try and take the approach of making community. Let's use some of the stuff that Nick was talking about in his hackerspace review and, and talk about putting it out to that community because this is the community that finds 800 Oracle O'Day exploits and gives all the free research over to Oracle and Oracle does nothing about it. Why don't you give us something to chew on there? Why don't you put it out to the free community, make some incentive rewards, and be able to go out there and actually use some of this free research, free time, free brain space that some of the you know moffats in the security world have, and give them a place to go play. You know, set up a server, set up a couple servers, set up a cloud, and give us stuff to play with. You know, us techno dorks really like hardware. Give a big room of hardware to us. Tell us what we have to play with and what we have to do. And that can now become a government-sponsored hackerspace where all of us can go do some of this stuff and the government gets free research. You want contacts? You want to know how to put it together? Nickerson at ExoticLiability.com or www.ExoticLiability.com. Start a blog post. Watch what happens. Or Jackalope at ExoticLiability.com. There you are. Okay. Or Done anyone. <laughs> Screw face. Um. Well, you know, I, what else is going on? Control of cybersecurity becoming a diverse issue. I think that that's fun, you know, that good old Obams is trying to get in there and talk about national cybersecurity and how DHS is doing all these great things and, and how, you know, we have senators who are leading the Senate intelligence committees and holding all these committees and blah, 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 committee, meeting, committee, meeting. It sounds like when I'm at work at a big company. You have a committee to have a meeting 
The meetings have action items which go back to the committee. Then the committee makes another subcommittee to provide action on the action items. Then they have to get funding. Then they get delayed. And then they get delayed. And then Obams goes and buys a new BlackBerry. But he can't use it because he's like, you know, can't leak information. Yeah. So then he has to trade it for an iPod, which he hands to the queen. And seriously, do something. Like, stop with all this committee BS. Just do something. I mean, literally, there's some ways that this can get taken care of and we can start making progress right now. But no one's doing it. And I think that as soon as we get out of this administrative mode and we start getting into actually putting in work, maybe some of the requirements, maybe some of the attacks will go down. 5,900 times the government was compromised this year. 5,900 times in 2008. You suck at it. Get some help. That's all I have to say. So there you guys are. <laughs> anyway, um, thank you for listening today. Yeah. Thank you for listening to us rant and rave. <laughs> we'll be back on the next show with uh, North uh I don't know if it's going to be North or Don Bailey, so we may have to cut it. Or we can just leave this whole thing in, and Don can be mad. Um, He's going to be talking about some really, really cool high-end stuff. Um, Don's going to talk about some of uh, null dereferencing and actually being able to turn vulnerabilities into exploits. So all of you who hold high Nessus, hold high Retina, Rapid7, and all of the other vulnerability scanners, be prepared to learn why those vulnerability scanners are dead wrong on the level of risk. Remember, it's not a vulnerability. It's a feature. (laughs) Features and vulnerabilities, that's what we're here to provide you at ExoticLiability.com. Thank you for listening. Love you.